So you're in a, a summer series looking at uh, various uh, various proverbs throughout the the summer, and so uh, if you have any if you have any kind of uh, experience with the book of Proverbs, it's probably one of the most practical kind of pragmatic books of the whole Bible. So you don't most of the stuff that you read in Proverbs, you don't read it and go, "What did they mean?" Right? You most of the time uh, you read it in in Proverbs, and you're like, "Okay, got it." Like that's I understand the instruction that you're giving me and that you're communicating to me. And then the challenge becomes, we read it. The challenge is not necessarily understanding. The challenge is following it, right? Like every, most of the time when I'm reading the book of Proverbs, I'm like, man, that's some really good stuff, but that's also really, really difficult. And so I think, um, I think this morning, uh, it's probably one of the most practical just kind of talks that I, I could get. And so when they asked me, they said, hey, we're in this series on Proverbs. Just kind of pick what, which one has been shaping to you, which one has affected you the most, uh, which one is that you, you really enjoy. Uh, and so I went straight to this one. Uh, I can remember reading this Proverbs when I was in college, and uh, it deals with relationships. It deals with uh, relational tension. I, I felt like there for a long period in my life uh, that the Lord was continuing to give me scriptures and verses that had to do with uh, relationships, with uh, language, how I, how I talk, and conflict. And so I was like, Lord, are you trying to tell me something, right? Like I was just going through this season of, of like, oh, quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry, right? I just kept getting all of these kind of verses that were tugging and pulling on me that were saying to me, hey, this is a, an area, the way that you engage with others, uh, the way that you talk with others is an area that I want to grow and push you in. And, uh, and so I would, I would venture to say that if I sat down at a table or in a room with you uh, and began to talk about you uh, or talk with you about your life and your relationships with people, uh, you would probably, like me, say, yeah, I've got some areas of tension with people, uh, some, some relationship tension. Or you would say, uh, I'm trying to figure out, like, I'm always one, wanting to know, how, how am I, am I a good friend? How do I be a better friend? Like, what does it mean to be a real friend to someone? What does it mean to be authentic with someone? And so that's kind of what we're going to talk about this morning. So if you have a Bible, go to Proverbs chapter 27. Proverbs chapter 27. Just a couple of short verses that we're going to look at. And, uh, and then I'll get you out of here in time to uh, see the U.S. women at 11. So Proverbs 27, uh, verses 5 and 6. 27, 5 and 6 is where we're going to be at. It'll also be on the screen. Uh, it'll be on the screen uh, behind me as well. Um, if your daughter, uh, if your daughter's anything like our daughter, she, um, she just says what comes to her mind. So uh, the filter between what she thinks and what comes out of her mouth does not exist. And uh, does anyone else's kids are like that? Or you've been around kids like that? It's like, hey baby, that's an impolite thing to say. Like that may be the truth, but that will hurt someone's feelings. Do you know what I mean by that? Like she just, uh, so we were, we were outside the other day, uh, we were in Fenway, so Fenway has like this new timeout market type thing. And so we're kind of hanging out there and it's a really hot day and, and there's like a little grass area and so we're all just kind of enjoying the weather, and uh, our daughter says out loud, because um, there was a guy that was right over here beside us, she goes, why do, why do people wear pants in the summer? Right? Just like really like loud, right? While this guy is, is right beside us. And we were like, hey, baby, if you want to talk about, like, if, you, if that's a legitimate question, right, then you should come talk to us. Like, I know that what you think 
uh, automatically comes out of your mouth, right? And a lot of times what she thinks and what comes out of her mouth could, is, is, is very likely a true thing. But we're like, let's, let's, there's a way to do that. Uh, there was a TV show. You remember the TV show uh, kids used to say the, uh, kids say the darndest things, right? I think there was like a couple of different editions of this show, right? And what was so funny about the show, right, is they would sit down, they would put a microphone in a kid's face, and what made it so funny was the kids would say things that were, were really true statements, but were, weren't necessarily things that, like, you would just say out loud, right? Like, they would be more like a one-on-one conversation, or it'd be, but it was so funny because you're like, oh, that kid just said something that I would never say, but he just said it on national TV. That's what made it so funny. And, and so the, pro- the proverb that we're going to look at today deals with that. It deals with what does it mean to be, to, to be a friend and how does, how does being honest in our conversation with one another affect and influence our friendships with each other? So let's, let's look at it and, and we'll flesh that out a little bit more. So uh, Proverbs 27, uh, 5 and 6, he says this, better Better is an open rebuke than a hidden love. So he says, better is an open rebuke than a hidden love. Verse 6, faithful, this is the verse that was so shaping for me um, when, when I first read this in college. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. So faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of, a, of an enemy, right? I, uh, when, I, um, when I was looking at it, it was faithful are the wounds of the friends, but an enemy multiplies kisses. An enemy multiplies kisses. Now, now what does, what, what's happening here? What is the author trying to teach us about relationships and friendships? This is what he's saying. There is a type of relationship and friendship that, that can be really beneficial to you but at the same time uh, requires a type of vulnerability and authenticity that's really difficult to get to. So let me say it again. There's a type of relationship, like a real type of relationship that God would ask you to walk in with other people that can be really great and really deep, but the one kind of requirement to having a deep relationship with others is to have a sense of openness and vulnerability that's really difficult to get to. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Right? Does anybody have like those kind of friendships where you say honest things to one another? Right? Those are hard. You're like, no, no, I just like the uh, more of a surface level friendship guy. Right? More of a surface level. So, so this is what the author says. He says, um, better, if, if you have options here, and he's given a comparison here. He says, better is it to have someone who openly rebukes you than to have hidden love. And he says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Here, here's kind of my main statement for the morning, and then we'll flesh out a bit. Your most valued friendships, and this is what we're talking about, friendships. Your most valued friendships are the ones that speak truth to you. Your most valued friendships are the ones that will speak truth to you, that'll be uh, that'll be honest with you. So, so if you're looking at this verse, so in Proverbs 27, um, verse 6, it says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Now, if you, if you look in that, uh, uh, if you look at that word friend in the Hebrew, it's ahava. So, uh, ahava is, is a Hebrew word for love. So, actually, 
on the inside of my wedding ring, on the inside of my, my wedding ring, uh, my wife Katie uh, had the inscription Ahava put on the inside of, of my ring, right? Uh, it's, it's there. So if I take this off, I could see it right on the inside. Now, what Ahava, what, what that word means is it's this deep sense of love and companionship for one another, right? So like the, the Hebrew language is so much... Uh, it's so much more beautiful than the English, right? Like almost any language is. Um, but like the, the, the Hebrew is so complex in the, in the way that it fleshes things out that there's all kinds of different words with different meanings with, with lots of things that are beneath it. And so when the, the writer writes, profuse are the wo- wounds of a friend, uh, profuse are the wounds of a ahava, what he's saying is this is a deep type of companionship and friendship with one another. He's saying that your ahava, your companion, your relational companion, this deep sense of love, that type of person will wound you. And their wounding of you will be for your benefit. And it'll ultimately be for the good of your relationship. And then he says the opposite of your ahava, this person who loves you deeply, is your enemy. And your enemy, let me translate that, what he means by profuse are the kisses of the enemy. What he means is that real friends, real friends don't continually flatter you, right? Like, like uh, uh, real friendships aren't full of flattery, first dates are. You know what I'm saying? Like a first date's full of flattery. Real friendships aren't full of flattery. Real, real friendships are, hey man, I know this is going to hurt, but I need to speak this truth to you. Like, you, I see you, um, like, you, what you said uh, in that moment to your wife seemed really harsh. And, like, I'm not a perfect husband, but, like, you'd ask my wife. But, like, I'm just kind of observing the situation, man, and, like, I care about you, I care about you. And, like, what you said in that moment looked like it really hurt her. Or, hey, man, I, like, I kind of noticed, like, Man, your, your attitude is, is continually negative, and, and dude, I care about you, and I, I want to see your growth, and man, is there, like, is there something I can help you with? You just seem like you're, you're just, like, always down, like you can't, like you're not engaging with people anymore. Like, these are the types of relationships that, that God has called us to cultivate with one another, these hard, difficult relationships, versus on the other side of that, you know what a, 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 a not healthy relationship does? Girl, that's not a big deal. Everybody does that. Girl, that's not a problem. Like, everybody, everybody does that. I get that. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm there with you. Uh, absolutely. Right? I'm, I'm there with you. I get that. Don't worry about that. That's not a big deal. See, real, real friendships don't, like, don't take the negative parts of you and just say those are okay. You have those friendships, but, oh, no, don't worry, girl. Like, you're Okay. Or they just dive into whatever your unhealthiness is. The, the Proverbs, this is why it was so shaping for me. The Proverbs says, no, real friendships will wound you. They'll hurt you. Now, I think you're like, yeah, I've had people wound me before. Now, there's a type of wounding that is, is not good, and there's a type of wounding that is good. And we'll look at it in a second. But like, you're just kind of getting the picture here. That to have real valuable friendships is to to experience a a type of hurt. See, the best type of growth, the best type of growth 
comes from friends who share the hardest truths. Who share the hardest truths. Look, look, look at the, in verse 5, he says, better is an open rebuke than a hidden love. See, damage, real damage, and it's what we see all throughout Scripture. Real damage and sin is done where? It's done in the darkness. See, Satan has a desire for us to, to hide, to hide away, to be in the dark, to not talk about things, to not be honest with one another. Like, it's a, it's a win for Satan. It's a win for Satan for you not to engage each other in real conversations. Like, that's a, that's a win for him. For you to see your friend struggling, for you to see your friend struggling, and for you to go, I, no, that's going to be too hard. That'll hurt them. That's a, that's a win for the enemy. That's a win for the enemy. Now, there are valid reasons that we feel like we can't do that, and we'll talk about it. But that's a, that's a win for him. See, damage is done in the darkness. It's done in isolation. It's done in isolation with, with others. Okay, if you, if you go to Galatians chapter 2. If you have a Bible, Galatians chapter 2. I want to give like a real uh, kind of New Testament example of where we see this happen. Galatians chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 11. Because we see, we see this play out. We see this play out in, uh, in Scripture uh, in a couple of places. But here we see um, this idea of one friend pushing on another friend's uh, for the benefit of everyone involved here in Galatians chapter 2, uh, verse 11 through 14 is, is where we're going to look at. So Paul, uh, Paul wrote, the book, uh, wrote the book of Galatians, um, and, uh, and so he's kind of fleshing out some various things for them. Uh, the book of Galatians is probably the one book where Paul just is like re- almost, he's really angry the whole time. So he's in the red the whole time. So most of the books that Paul writes in the New Testament He's like, hey, I'm grateful for you. I'm thankful for you. I'm grateful for your faithfulness, right? I'm, 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 I'm a co-laborer beside you. You get to the book of Galatians, and he's like, you adulterous people. Like, he's angry. He's in the red the whole time. The red the whole time, because the church is, is adding things to the gospel and, and laying stuff on top of the gospel. Um, but this is what he says. So he's, he's writing to them in verse 11. He says, but when Cephas came to Antioch, that's Peter. So you got, you got Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament. And then you have Peter, the, the two most uh, powerful leaders in the New Testament, in the early church. This is who we have, Paul and Peter. So Peter did the first sermon, Acts chapter 2 and 3, 3,000 people, uh, 3, people uh, came to know Christ in that setting. The Holy Spirit came upon it. And it was, it was incredible. 3,000. That's the Peter that we're about to talk about. So Paul writing, he says, but when Cephas, or when Peter, came to Antioch, he says, I opposed him to his face. Right? It, Paul didn't say, uh, when I got to Galatia, I gathered together my friends, and we kind of discussed, and we talked about how do we move, how do we move, uh, really adds power behind what I'm saying. So it wasn't, he wasn't like, hey, let's get together and talk and, and let's figure out a plan and a process for doing this. No, no. He's like, I showed up. I showed up. And I heard what Peter was doing. And I love Peter. And I love the church. 
And so he says, I opposed him to his face. I mean, we could stop right there. I could just say to you, hey, if you have relational conflict with someone, like, talk to them in the face. Let me pray and be done. And all of us would have something that would be very difficult for us to do this week. Would it not? All of it. Like, we could, if I just stopped right there. All right. So he says, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Verse 12. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. So he says, Peter was eating with the Gentiles, right? He's eating with them. He's chopping it up. Like, he's enjoying just being in relationship with them. This is what he's doing. He was eating with the Gentiles. And then he says, some, some men came from James. So James leads the church at Jerusalem. So there's like the home base church in Jerusalem. James leads that church. That church is full of Jews, God's original people. These guys come from the church at Jerusalem. Peter, tell me if you've ever done this. Peter sees these guys coming. So Peter has been hanging out, having a good time, like growing with the Gentiles, those who were considered not a part of God's kingdom. He sees these guys coming and separates himself from them and says, well, I don't want to be close to you guys. Like, I know that the gospel has came to you. I know that the Holy Spirit is indwelling in you. I know that, that I've seen gifts of the Spirit in your presence on you, but I see these guys coming from the church at Jerusalem, and I'm a little intimidated. I'm, a, I'm ultimately afraid about what these guys are going to think about me hanging out with this certain group of people. Hello. And so Peter separates himself, and Paul sees it. He has heard about it. And so he shows up, verse 12. So these men came from James. He was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Fearing the circumcision party. Verse 13. Man, here's what's so dangerous. When we refuse to have honest and genuine conversations with our friends, the chances are, the chances are, their behavior, right, the, where they're at in life, maybe what they've said to you that has hurt you or what they've said to other people, right, or their posture and attitude, the chances are that it has not just affected you, the chances are this affected other people. And people have refused to step in and have a real conversation with them. And what's happened? This vicious cycle, this vicious cycle of hurting. And so look what it says. Verse 13, and the rest of the Jews acted in a Hippocrat uh, hypocritically uh, along with him. So, so that, so they're, they're being hypocrites here. So it says, so that even Barnabas was led astray. Now, who was Barnabas? Uh, Acts chapter um, 11 says that the church at Antioch was growing and taking off, and then the description that it gives for Barnabas. This is, the, this is what I want for my life, right? If I could put something on my gravestone, this is what it would be. This is what it says about Barnabas. It says, Barnabas was a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? 
it means that Barnabas was a boss. Like Barnabas was the man. Like Barnabas was a passionate Christ follower. Barnabas knew the Lord well. Barnabas was a leader in the church. And, and so the text tells us that Peter's behavior caused even Barnabas to stray, to become a hypocrite, to say, yes, the gospel's for everybody. Yes, the, the, that Christ came for all people. That, that yes, Christ broke down the, the, the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. Yes, he did all of those things, but I will not get close to you. That you are good enough for Christ, but not good enough for me. Even Barnabas was being led astray by Peter's response. And so Paul says even he was led astray by their hypocrisy. Verse 14, verse 14. And when I saw, but when I saw that their conduct, and here, here's, here's, here's our filter, right? Here's our filter for having relationships with people and having conversations with people that have the potential to hurt. He says, when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not a Jew, so he goes, you're a Jew, you're living like a Gentile. You're not living under the law anymore. You're not living like, you're not following the, the, the covenantal law, like Christ has come, you're not in the covenantal law anymore, so you have the ability to do things that you didn't have to do before. So he says, even uh, if, if, uh, if you're a Jew, but you live like a Gentile and not a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? And so here we have a New Testament example of what we're talking about this morning. Paul, do you think Paul wanted to have this conversation with Peter? Do you think he rolled into there and thought, this is going to be really enjoyable? Like, I cannot, I can't wait to have this conversation. No. Nobody looks forward to these conversations. And if you're a person who, do, who does look forward to these conversations, something's wrong with you. Right? Yeah, well, that's my personality type. Like, I enjoy conflict. Right? Where I, something's wrong with you. We, ha we have conversations with those that we're close with because we care about them, because we care about our relationship, because we care about our relationship. See, Paul, this is what Paul decided, and this is the truth for us. Paul had decided that the short-term hurt, that the short-term hurt was necessary to enable long-term growth. Short-term hurt having that conversation with someone is necessary. Why? Because when you say difficult and hard things to your friends for their benefit, it may provide a sense of short-term short -term hurt, but it will enable in their life and in your relationship with them long-term growth. It's why it's worth it. It's why it's worth it. In the long-term, it will provide growth for them. Proverbs 27, 17, you may have heard this verse before. It's one of those really uh, popular verses. Uh, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. So just a couple of verses down from this, it says, man, iron sharpens iron, and one relationship does to another. Now, iron and sharpen iron, is not like a, it's not two bunnies together, right? This is a hard, laborious, stressful, hot 
uh, uh, like difficult thing. He says, this is what relationships do. This is how we grow. Iron sharpens iron. This is a problem here. This is a difficulty here. It's a violent, violent process. Now, why do we struggle to speak truth? So I'm going to give you, um, we're going to talk about why we struggle to speak truth, why we should welcome wounds, and I'm going to pray and we'll be done. So here's some really just practical things. I'm going to roll off on a list here, and, uh, and then, we'll, then, then you'll have it. First thought, why, why do we struggle to speak truth in our relationships? Uh, number one, just, just so basic, it's uncomfortable. It says wounds. That is an uncomfortable environment to be in with one another, right? Like that, that's hard. We live in a society, in a culture that likes to say really controversial things uh, online, on the news outlet, in social media, and all these types of things. But when you get face to face with someone, it changes. That's just reality. It says wounds come from a friend. We don't want to do this because it's uncomfortable. It's not like you're going to go and have an enjoyable meal, right, and a drink, and just it's going to be this really great thing. You're going to sit down. You're going to delay it all day. Man, how you doing? How's work? How's the kids? You know, how's friends? You know, it's like, and then there's going to be five minutes left in the conversation uh, or in the time, and you're like, hey, by the way, I got to talk to you about something. Right? Why do we do that? Because it's uncomfortable. It's hard. Number two. Number two, why do we speak, why do we struggle to speak truth? We allow our shortcomings to get in the way. We allow our shortcomings to get in the way. I'm not a good husband. How can I talk to that guy about how he talks to his wife? I, I struggle with gossip. How can I, how can I talk to her about uh, her gossip? Right? I struggle, I, I mean, I struggle with these things. How, 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 like we allow our shortcomings to keep us from being concerned with the long-term growth of our friends. Now, I think there's merit to, right, get the speck out of your eye before you, you know, like, I, I, I think there's, you know, I think there's merit to that. But none of us are perfect. And if you're waiting on perfection to have genuine, honest conversations with your friendship, you'll never have those conversations with your friends. So we can't allow our shortcomings to, to Innate, uh, keep us from engaging in other, other people's um, relationships. Number three, so it's uncomfortable. We allow shortcomings to get in the way. Uh, we haven't put in the work. We haven't put in the encouraging work. So there's something to be said for being an encourager. And you should be such an encourager in your, your relationships with other people that when you say a harsh word, it's not so harsh. And if the only thing that you ever say to your friend it's things like, hey, I think you could grow here. Hey, you get on my nerves in this way. Or I think, I think, like, I think you need to, could change here. Or like, if you're only saying difficult things to your friends, like, that's not a real friendship. You should be making deposits, like encouraging deposits in their life. So that when you get to that moment, this is a little bit more proactive. So that when you get to that, you're like, hey, man, you know, I love you. You know, I care about you. You know, I think you're a remarkable person. You're an amazing friend. You're an amazing coworker. You're amazing, like, you, like I, I, you know, I think all of these things. Man, I see this just one area that just is sticking out to me. And so, so we got to get, I'm not good at that. I'm not good at being just a natural encourager, right? It just gets awkward for me, you know? 
but it's, it's important, valuable type of thing, and so we have to do the work of that. Number four, number four, uh, it can come at great risk. There, there is the potential. If you're having this conversation with someone, there's the potential that they're in an unhealthy place. And if they're in an unhealthy place, there's the potential for a season that you could not be a friend with them anymore. And that's hard. That's difficult. But there could be, like, there could be some real risk. There could be some friend group risk in having hard conversations with friends. Maybe this person's a little more aggressive and you're not, and they can dominate a friend group and you're not. And you having a conversation with them, you know, could create massive tension and, and cause you to have to stand your ground in a way that makes you uncomfortable. But, but real friendships, the ahava friendships, does not, I care about you. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to have this conversation, this difficulty. So come at great risk. Number five, some of you, uh, you're afraid that you're just not going to do it the right way. You're just not going to do it the right way. You don't know how to do that. We'll talk about that some. And I think the sixth reason that we struggle to speak truth is, uh, is just we've never had a good example of it. Some of you come out of, of families similar to mine that don't handle conflict well, that don't have like genuine conversations with one another, right? Like they just don't, you don't have that and so you've not seen that so you don't even know how to be vulnerable and open with people. You don't know how to extend forgiveness towards others. You just haven't seen it. You haven't seen it and so that makes it difficult. So it's uncomfortable. We allow our shortcomings to get in the way. We put in the encouraging work. Comes at great risk. We're afraid of not doing it right. We don't have a good example of it. Okay, so that's why, that's why uh, we struggle to speak truth. Why should we welcome wounds? Right? So I, I've communicated to you, hey, this is why we should do it. Let me talk to you. So maybe uh, you're like me, and, and you, you, you get the receiving end of it, right? You're the, you're the one who is a, it can, can have that. So why should we welcome wounds? from a friend. Why should we welcome wounds from, from a friend? Why should it be that? First thing, it shows relational capital. It shows that they're your friend. That they're, like if they mustered up enough energy and enough strength and enough courage to come have this conversation with you and they did it in a healthy way, it shows that they care about you and that they love you. It does. Now, if they come to you and it's unhealthy and they're, it's shouting, right, or they write you a text message or, or like, they, they write on your Facebook, I don't know, whatever, right? Like, that's not. But if they come to you and they've, like, you can tell, man, this is difficult for them, why should you in that moment be gracious towards them, not, not be on the defensive, right? I mean, someone's like, I'm glad you brought that up because I got some stuff I want to talk to you about. Right? That's, what, that's where we're ready to go. Like in that one, we're like, that's good. I'm glad we're talking about wounds because I got a few I'd like to talk to you about. Right? No, no, no. You receive it and you go, man, you care. Like, you love me. Can you imagine if that was our response when, when our friends speak really honest things to us? When they're like, bro, like, you, some of the stuff that's coming out of your mouth, bro, has been crude. 
I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's happening with you, you know. But dude, it's just not been, it's not encouraging. Can you imagine in that moment if the response of the person was like, the one who's, who's receiving that would go, man, you must really love me to have this conversation with me. That's genuine, authentic, ahava type of Christian community that a lot of us don't, don't feel and understand. That's like gospel saturated, like freed by the blood of the lamb type of stuff. Right? That, that is like a people marked by Christ type of relational conflict management type of stuff. And so it shows that they love you, that they care about you. So it shows relational capital. Number two, it removes our pride. It removes our pride. We, we grow better through pain. That's just a reality. We just do. We grow better through difficulty and pain. Uh, Proverbs 12.1, the author says this. This is so funny to me, this verse. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. So he's like, if you love discipline, you love knowledge. Why? Because discipline teaches you. Hardship teaches you. Difficult conversations with your friends teaches you. So he says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, loves growth, loves maturity. That's what discipline does. And then look what he says. But the one who hates, uh, but the one who hates correction is stupid. That's hilarious to me. I read that and I'm like, is that translated right? Because I tell my daughter not to say that. Right? She would love this as a memory verse. Like, I guarantee you, if I gave this to her and I said, well, I'm going to give you your memory verse for the week, it is um, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but the one who hates correction is stupid. She would have that memorized in about 30 seconds. So she could say the word stupid. That's hilarious. What is he saying? He's saying maturity and growth. If you want to be a mature person, if you want to grow, if you want to not be where you are currently, a big part of that comes through discipline. And discipline happens in healthy relationships with other people. It does. And he says, if you don't like correction and you want to continue to walk in your blind spots, you are stupid. I mean, that's what he's saying. He's saying, like, you got blind spots, you need help, and if you don't want correction and don't want to grow and don't want to be mature, well, that's just not smart. And so it removes our pride. It grows us. It stretches us. This is why we should welcome, this is why we should welcome wounds. Number three, if we care about our neighbor, we care about our friend, we need to know what burdens them. If we care about our friends, we need to know what burdens them and what bothers them. And so when they, when they wound you with their words, 
when they have a hard conversation with you, an honest conversation with you, if you love them, then you care about what they're saying. And as, as God's people, as, as people living in the way of Christ, as, as people who've been, who've been freed from their sin, we, we should care about what burdens our friends and what burdens our neighbors. So we should welcome, we should welcome those, those wounds. Number four, number four, this is so true. A lot of times these hard conversations brings clarity between friends. It brings clarity between friends. God, I would say 80, 80% of the difficult conversations that you have or 80% of the relational tension that you have is typically a miscommunication, right? It's a miscommunication. We have a tendency, I have a tendency, not to believe the best about people. And, and we villainize people from afar. We villainize people from afar. And, but when we get up close to them and have conversations with them and have things that could potentially wound them, it brings great clarity between our relationships with them. And I just can't tell you the amount of times I've had a conversation with somebody and kind of coached them through how to have this conversation. They go back, they come back and they're like, hey, how'd that go? And they're like, that was great, man. Honestly, it, was, it all really just boils down to a miscommunication. But we want to do what? We want to, we want to walk in darkness. We want to assume a lot of things. And that's for the enemy's benefit. Like, do you think the enemy wants us to have open communication with one another? Have genuine communication with one another? No, he doesn't want that. He doesn't want that. But the, the author of this proverb says that wounds come from a friend and an enemy multiplies kisses. An enemy multiplies kisses. Now, how can we do this? Here's the final thought, and I'll, I'll pray. Um, well, I think there's a couple of things, right? I think um, when we're having these conversations, it's what I call truth with restraint, right? So when you're having a conversation, you're truthful, but you do it with restraint. So you're not blowing them out of the water in that moment, right? Like you're wise about what, what needs to be said in that moment. Maybe not everything needs to be said. Maybe not everything needs to be addressed in that moment. So it's truth with restraint in that moment. So you're being... You're being, under, uh, you're being wise about that. I think you need to understand your relationship with them, right? Like, make sure you know your relationship with them before you have that type of conversation. That, that's going to affect your approach. If you, you know, like, I can have a, 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 a type of conversation that's different with my wife, right, and with those who are in really close proximity than I can with, with other people in, in having those conversations. That makes sense? Like, let's, let's do that. I, I think we need to be truth with restraint, understand. But he, here's my final thought. We can practice, so we can practice relational reconciliation because Christ did it with us. What enables us to be able to have honest, genuine conversations and relationships with people is the fact that Christ did it with us. Uh, Paul says, Colossians 3, 12 to 15, you don't have to turn there. Let me just read it. Let me read it over you. Just hear it. You don't, don't worry about it being on the screen. Colossians 3, 12 through 15, you can write it down, you can go back and look at it later. This is what he says to God's people. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. So as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, how are we to act? He says, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one, if one has a complaint against another, 
forgiving each other, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Verse 14, and above all else, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. So what's Paul saying there? Paul's saying that we can practice relational reconciliation because Christ did it with us first. He set as an example for us an ability to have genuine, honest conversations with one another. It enables us to forgive because he forgave. To forgive because he forgave. And so maybe you're here this morning and um, maybe you're here this morning and you, like, if you're living, you're probably in relationships with people. And if you're in relationships with people, I would say the chances are, not, not that there's always conflict happening, but some of you are either in the midst of a type of conflict with someone or you've gotten past a type of conflict with someone, or that type of, con- there's a conflict in your future, right? Like, that's probably the reality for us. And, and so all of us, I think all of us this morning, need to take heed to this and say, you know what? You're right, like a friend does, in, uh, a friend does bring wounds. Like, like, better is an open rebuke than a hidden love. An enemy is flattering to me and multiplies kisses with me. And so maybe you're, you've been that enemy in relationship with people. So in a moment, maybe you need to, like, you need to commit to saying, hey, you know what? Like, I need to start pressing on my friends. I need to stop giving them a pass for their sin patterns and for their hypocrisy. Maybe that's been you and you've been giving them a pass. Right? Or maybe you, someone tried to have a hard conversation with you and you did not receive it well. Maybe when you leave here, you need to call them, have a conversation with them. That, like, hey man, you know, even if they didn't do it completely the right way, right? This thing's hard. Maybe you need to call them and say, hey, I see it. I see what you were doing. I'm sorry. That was wrong. My response was wrong. Can I, can I pray for you this morning? Let me pray. Go ahead. Let's. Let's pray for courage and strength to do this. God, we love you. Thank you for Christ. Thank you that he gives us an example of of how to extend forgiveness and care for others, God. So would you help us in this? God, maybe uh, we're here and and someone's here and they they didn't receive a conversation well from a friend. God, would you give them the courage to to step into that, to own what they need to own in, in that relationship? to take responsibility for their actions, to, to go back and say to their friend, hey, I see what you were doing there. I see that you're my friend. I know that what you said hurt me, uh, but I see some truth there, and that's my fault. That's my fault for not receiving it well. It's my fault for, for doing that particular action. Would you help them to do that? God, maybe somebody's in, in the, the room, and, and they're, they're in some ways the enemy that's been multiplying kisses. They've been giving their friends a pass. They've been giving their spouse a pass. They've been giving their, their, their roommate a pass. They've been giving these people that they're in a ahava type of relationship with a pass. God, would you give them the courage and the grace to have a hard conversation? God, help them do it with, with truth, with restraint. God, that they would, they would pray so hard God, that they would just ask the Holy Spirit to go in front of them and to be in them in the midst of that conversation. 
got to pray that um, Charles River Church would be a church, this, uh, a, a church of authenticity with one another, with relational reconciliation among its congregation and its people. And that this church would set as an example to the Roslindale community how, how Jesus brings an ability among imperfect people to live in relational harmony with one another. And that would mark this community. That would mark this neighborhood. That would mark this city. So we love you. Pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.